And welcome back to a fresh episode of the Business Growth Show. I'm your host, Sam Dunning, co-owner over at webchoiceuk.com. And if you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to our weekly email where we share actual marketing tips, useful podcasts, free resources, guides, bonuses, and every more, even more every Monday to start your week off with a bang. Head over to businessgrowth.email. And with that, today's guest is Adam Holmgren. Adam is the head of demand generation over at Get Accept. He's also host of the podcast, Demand Generation Movement. Adam, really warm welcome to the show. How are you doing? Yeah, great to be here, Sam. Fun to be here. Cool, man. Looking forward to this because we're going to be all chatting, all things. Why companies should care about demand generation. This is a hot topic when it comes to LinkedIn, when it comes to SaaS companies. Um, There's a lot of ways we could take this. So um, let's, let's throw you straight in at the deep end, Adam, as we often do. To you, what does demand generation really mean? Yep. Um, I, th- I think demand generation, uh, you get, if you talk to 10 marketers, you get 10 completely different responses. Um, so I think it's important to kind of get your own definition. But, but for me, it's more, uh, it's a full funnel approach really to marketing. So I think we have, even though we maybe haven't called it demand generation for, you know, a decade, we have still been doing it for a decade. So it's more, we look a full funnel approach, we look at customer journeys, we look to provide value to our audience first. Uh, and then obviously we have the end goal of creating revenue. And I think that is important to emphasize that, you know, revenue should always come first. Um, that is really the key definition in, in my mind. And if we compare that to maybe the more traditional lead generation, that I think many people in Europe still uh, still are doing, or at least most of it, that is that is more uh, related to bringing leads in and not caring as much about the qualitative aspects um, and how many of them actually turn into revenue. So I think that's the important distinction here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll get stuck into the nuts and bolts when it comes to demand gen versus lead gen shortly, which is which is going to be good fun. Now, when it comes to demand generation, I know um, when I spoke to people before, some people talk about kind of creating educational, helpful content for perhaps prospects, potential customers that haven't yet heard of your company, of your brand, what you do and yep. helping them with that way. Um is that what you'd say it is, Adam, or is there a heck of a lot more to, to demand gen than just kind of creating videos or creating podcasts like we are now and kind of sharing information around your sector? No, I think that's that's one way for sure. Um, and I think that's that's the way where companies usually start. You know, they start creating a lot of these top funnel content. So it can be podcasts, it can be, um, can be anything really, uh, events, webinars, um, but I think the important thing with demand generation is to not stop there, to also make sure that that there is a next step for our audience and for our customer journey so that we continue to create valuable middle of the funnel content. We continue to create valuable bottom of the funnel content. Because I think if we would, if we would research 10 different SaaS companies in, say, Europe or the US for that matter, I would guess that 75% or so of their content are top funnel content, um, which is obviously great to bring people in. But if you don't have a, you know, a next step or something 
more valuable that the, the audience can go to, um, they are quite lost. And I think that's important in this fun full funnel approach to have that, to not only focus on top funnel content, but also more valuable pieces um, when they know about you and your brand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which brings us on to a couple things that are always tricky when it comes to demand gen, content creation, attribution, and all that good stuff. Um, from your experience, how how have you found ways to create, whether it is content or demand gen pieces, media, etc., that's that's valuable to your target audience, the people that you actually want to attract? Are there are there ways you found that have worked well? Yeah, I think the, the most basic answer to that is really getting to know uh, the customers a bit better. And a, a good start for, for me when I have entered GetAccept, as an example, um, was yes, we have these amazing tools now, Chorus, Gong. It's so easy to listen into sales calls and listen into dialogues where we win and where we lose. Uh, and that has been a great start. Like, just focus down on getting to know your customers. Yes, of course, we should also conduct like interviews, but I think that's that's an easy start to get to know what kind of solutions and problems we are, you know, solving. Um, yeah, and then we can kind of go from there. Um, I think that's a it, so if if it's a company here that don't have a solution like Chorus or Gong, I think that's a definite must have in today's environment, especially for marketers. I would say. Yeah, 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 makes sense. So listening to those sales conversations what's actually going on with your customers your sales teams what they're discussing what some of their queries some of their problems and and how they're overcoming them and then are you leveraging that to your advantage yeah exactly and i think you you're often like getting stuck on the same issue in many of these sales calls they have similar problems and one of the easiest ways i feel like creating content is to make sure that you have pieces of content that answer these kind of problems and pain points that are very clear with how you solve them. Um, ideally, this, this is something that, uh, you know, the buyer should consume before uh, having a sales demo, of course. Um, but I think if they are not, I think those are kind of a great, great way to identify them. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, does demand gen always have to be content driven? Um, I think content is always the start, um, for sure. I think it all starts with the messaging and the story we're trying to get out there. Then it's just a matter of how we want to distribute it. That can be very different uh, based on companies. You know, we are present in so many channels, but that will, of course, vary a lot depending on your audience um, and depending on kind of the, the spend you're willing to put out there. Let's take LinkedIn as a channel, for example. Superb for targeting, uh, yeah. also superb for uh, wasting money um, <laughs> if you're not careful. <laughs> um, as with many channels, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I think that's that's really. I think it, it all starts with with content creation and being creative. Usually, when I look for demand generation marketers, I think creativity is the the number one um, personal trait that I'm looking for for a good. Uh, demand gen marketer you need to be able to create extraordinary extraordinary stuff um that's not really out there uh, as of now i think that's yeah key. so let's let's get into revenue how how can you ensure that a demand gen campaign actually ties to revenue because i'm sure a lot of people are listening and thinking 
Sam, Adam, it's all good. We can spend thousands of dollars, euros, whatever, on creating this content that's going to be top of the funnel and it's going to answer some of our prospects' juiciest problems, concerns, queries. That might be through podcasts, through videos, maybe through articles, whatever, yeah. whatever the medium. Um, that's all well and good, but how can we actually tie this to revenue? How do we know it's going to ultimately get these demo requests or get these consultation calls flowing and then yeah. put some cash in our business's bank? No, I think that's hard, and, and attribution is always an interesting topic. Um, we can always you know, optimize our attribution as much as possible, and maybe we can identify, say, you know, 30 to 40% of what's coming in and, and kind of attribute it correctly. Um, and that is, of course, something we do. Um, at GetExcept, as an example, we use HubSpot and we use their attribution. It works uh, fine, it, but it has its limitations, of course. Um, one example is often at a company, a lot of your, you know, um, uh, customers will end up being attributed to direct traffic, uh, which is always a tricky one, right? Because it's impossible to say what they've done before or after that. Um, but for me, uh, what we have seen uh, or what I've seen at, at many companies is that we, it's a great correlation between looking at brand awareness related metrics and the, the growth of revenue. So we have, we have done test where we have kind of and when I talk about brand awareness I'm I'm talking more about how we are not pushing our product but more pushing our story pushing our brand it can be to through anything any channel really LinkedIn Facebook it can be display uh, whatever but we, we can see that when we when we lower you know our visibility in terms of awareness when we lower that spend that's also over time when our revenue kind of decreases so I think you have to look at it more of a high level than um, than narrowed uh, monthly. If your revenue are kind of increasing, um, you know, quarter by quarter, then you are on the right track, I think. Um, and I think that's that's an important thing here. You really need to have that, um, get that confidence from your management team. Uh, I guess that's that's key, right? Um, sometimes you will go only based by your gut feeling and not always based on a data-driven decision. Um, sure. Sometimes it will work and sometimes it will not. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, yeah. for me, it's very important that a company to not dwell too much on the attribution, more focus on, okay, this is, this is what we believe will give us the results long-term. Can we then see that the revenue is developing in that, that way? Um, Yep. So, so not really a short-term thing where you can just put out, say, a few pieces of different media, different content. No, exactly. And, at and attribute I, it a few days later. Are we talking, typically from your experience, we're talking kind of several months or even a year for it to to build up the brand authority, the reputation with our prospects and then... Yeah, I would say line. for sure. I would say one of our, like, one strong brand awareness channel that we usually don't talk about is, to be honest, is outbound sales, Right. It's right. a great way for companies to get to know us. And it can be uh, one of our SDRs or sales reps can call a company today and then they might end up attributed as an inbound in a year's time. And then, then obviously the attribution maybe shouldn't be marketing, right? But, but still, there are so many touch points and so many opportunities for us to, to increase brand awareness, not only for marketing. I think that's important also. Yeah, I suppose it's it's almost one of those chicken and egg things because the thing with demand gen is you can 
just like I do on LinkedIn all the time and, and you do Adam and lots of lots of people do put out a bunch of content on LinkedIn, whether that could be video content, text posts, all this good stuff. Maybe I'll put stuff on YouTube, on the podcast, on various other channels, which are geared towards, let's say, educating people. Ultimately, a web choice, you want to share expertise around websites, SEO and all that good stuff. And then eventually someone might not come to me direct on LinkedIn, but they might inquire through our website or they might search on Google and they might click an organic listing or they might click a paid ad. And it's not necessarily when they fill out an inquiry form, they might not say, look, I've, I've seen some of Sam's content or I've seen some of the team's content here. They might say, I just clicked a paid ad. So that's, yeah. that's where, it gets, where it gets tricky, isn't it? And you, you can't necessarily know what the, I guess without talking to the customer on a sales conversation, unless you have a, a free text field for how did you find us or hear about us, you're never no. really going to know what the full buyer journey was and the exact impact of that top of funnel demand gen work. No, exactly. And then we have a few channels, of course, that are more our intent channels where we actually try to capture, you know, the ex existing demand, the people that actually are in the market to buy. And that yep. is, of course, like paid search, uh, organic search. Uh, and there, the attribution is more clear. They will probably get attributed to paid search, but probably they found us somewhere else a year ago uh, still. Um, and then our more paid social channels are more awareness based. So there we're more trying to educate the market and then eventually kind of convert them through our intent channels like paid search and organic search. Here's a tough one. If you were a startup, what would you be more inclined to do? Would you be more inclined to look at the bottom of the funnel, the bottom of the sales funnel? So people that are ready to buy that probably I've never heard of your company that have got high intent and look at those channels to capture demand, i.e. Google paid search, Google organic search, or would you rather play the longer game, maybe save cash, I don't know, depends on what you resource into it, and maybe look at more demand gen um, yeah. as a longer term play? I guess, as you said, it, it, it depends on how much cash you have in the bank. If you are like a VC-backed company, um, brought in a lot of money, I would probably go more for the long-term play um, start with, you know, building up the organic engine, start with building up, but that is more of a long-term play. If I were, were going more at a bootstrap company where we actually need to survive on our money, um, I would probably start with the capturing part um, for sure. But I think that's an important distinction because if you start with the capturing part, that will probably hurt you um, when you get further down the road. So it's uh, Again, a chicken and egg question, I feel like. Um, but I, yeah, it's it's an interesting one for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think I'd probably be the same. Ultimately, if I started a brand new business now, I'd want to get qualified sales leads in as soon as possible. So I'm going to do yeah. some page search. Um, and like you say, demand gen, as and when you've got the resources to do it, you'll start ramping it up, building it up, so you can build up some longer-term awareness and people at the top of funnel. So you're, you're considering all angles of the marketing cycle you, i guess usually i think paid search is a channel that get gets a lot of bash but i for me at least it's still a channel that is very much working um you know people it, it's highly competitive of course so that that is well i guess the problem compared to five ten years ago um but it's still probably one of the best ways to um to capture that that intent um, yeah exactly i think one thing that annoys me is when I don't know if you see this as well. A lot of 
people on different channels, whether that's LinkedIn, podcasts, etc. They're going all in demand gen. So they're saying, look, you need to create this content at the top of the sales funnel that's going to educate your potential buyers, fill them in on your sector. So you become the trusted brand because you're giving free tips, advice, you're helping them really understand how they can get the job done. And then when they need it, they'll come to you. That's not always the case. They might be selecting several vendors. So if you're just doing demand gen and then you're not present in Google search, whether that's organic, paid, or whatever channels they go to, then you're not necessarily going to win their business because they might not even find you on search. So you you can't just go all in demand gen, in my opinion. You need to actually consider when people are going to Google or the other channels that they go to then search for it. Yes, some people might have enough trust and go direct to your website and just type that in or message you on LinkedIn, whatever. But some are actually still going to compare you to one or two vendors. And if you're not showing up on Google with ads or organic, then you've screwed yourself over because you've lost the business. Yeah, exactly. And it, it also depends a lot, right, on, on what kind of business you have. If you're in a very new category that's like where it doesn't really exist any, any existing demand, yeah, then, of course, you might go full on uh, demand, uh, demand and creating content about it. But if it's usually you have a category where you can at least identify with something, um, I think it would be almost stupid not to try to capture it. Um, yeah, it feels like uh, left out cash, to be honest. Yeah, I just wanted to get that point across because it frustrates me when um, yeah. people talk about demand gen, but they don't actually talk about capturing that demand. Um, yeah, so it's just a waste of your time and effort. Chili Piper's form concierge was built specifically for marketers. Double inbound conversions and qualified meetings. Keep your best prospects red hot by eliminating the waiting period after they raise their hand for a demo. Let website visitors self-qualify and book a meeting with the right rep instantly. Never let another inbound lead fall through the cracks. Stop chasing inbound leads. Start booking meetings. Book your free personalized demo today at chilipiper.com. That's C-H-I-L-I-P-I-P-E-R.com. Charles runs a software company. He gets a decent amount of leads through his website, through paid ads, but when it comes to the organic, non-paid listings on Google, his competitors are stealing his visibility, traffic, and customers, all because they rank higher than him on organic search with SEO, search engine optimization. He set up a call with WebChoice. They took the time to understand his business, goals, and plans, and crafted a long-term strategy to rank higher on Google. After a few months of working with WebChoice, Charles was above the competition and enjoying more organic leads than ever and was even able to reduce his ad spend from the uptick in organic inbound leads. Want to enjoy more inbound sales leads with SEO? Book a free consultation today at webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. So how does demand gen stack up against traditional lead gen? Because I'm sure a lot of people tuning in are thinking, guys, this is quite wishy-washy. You haven't really told me what I can get out of this. I know that I can run a traditional lead gen campaign. I can get hundreds of leads. Yes, my sales team might have to sift through them for ages and some of them might be total junk. But how does how does it stack up with traditional lead gen campaigns? Yeah, I, I think the entire point of making a calling it a demand gen campaign compared to a lead gen campaign is that 
the volume of leads coming in from such a campaign would obviously be less, but the quality should be higher. So we should have a higher percentage of, of people uh, going into deals, going into customers and so on. Um, also a way to not have our sales reps spend time on things that are not relevant. I think that's like, like one of the key things here. And then to achieve that, that is, that is of course hard. Um, I think one of the, the usual things when you talk about a lead gen campaign is you have some sort of gated information and yep. then you, you capture a lot of contact information uh, based on that. And then the differences in demand gen is more, you're probably trying to educate the market in some way, but not necessarily trying to convert them right away. But eventually, uh, your whole theory here is that they will convert on their own. Um, so I think Legion is a much more measurable tactic. You can see the lead obviously coming in almost straight away. Uh, and Demandian is more of a, usually at least, more of a long-term play um, where you might not be able to attribute a single campaign to uh, an MQL that came in today, more or less. Um, so I think that's the important distinction. Um, and then we can, of course, talk about how to go from lead gen to demand gen, because that is an even more interesting topic, I feel like, and probably the hardest thing to do at a company these days, I feel. At least it has been for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let's talk about that in a sec. But just before, um, so many, many companies still spend big money on webinars, gated content like eBooks, videos where you've got to give your name and email, perhaps more company details in return for some kind of content that will hopefully help you. Um, but in return, you're going to be marketed to perhaps called by a sales rep or perhaps put into an email nurture campaign mm. with the rise of demand gen over the last couple of years. And what we're talking about is, is that now a waste of time and money? No, I'm not necessarily against the gated content per se. I'm more against bad gated content. I feel like, um, I feel like when when you you know gating have a a point, for example, for a webinar, you are taking in their information to be able to maybe book the webinar in their calendars. Then I really see a point of doing it. Same with a free trial. You need their information to set up an account. Fine. Um, probably you will also start marketing to them in some way. Um, I think what we are trying to move away from are these more. Um, yeah, take this blog post, make it into an ebook, and uh, get it. Um, because that, yeah, we want. I think that is more hurting. Like we want a lot of people to see our content. Um, and I think if we get something, we will get less people that see it. We will get a lot of buyers into our journey that are not real buyers. Uh, and yeah, so I think by ungating these more simple stuff is helping us spread the word about the brand and product sure yeah what what do you think determines a gate worthy piece of content i think that that there is a, a practicality in it to be honest that you we need your information to do something for you uh, say a webinar we we need to we want to book it in your calendar we we want to remind you a day before the webinar those are more you could get value from us doing that um I think that is, at, le at least for me, that is something, then I would feel fine about getting something. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, so. I, I quite like that. Um, I think 
we have a reasonably similar mindset. Like I've only ever gated one or two pieces of the content that I've put out. And I think that was, I made a website lead gen guide a while back and I made a LinkedIn lead gen guide a while, while back, but both of those yeah. I sold first. And then <laughs> after about eight months or so, I thought I'd just make them free in return for an email so I can start sending people a weekly email. But yeah, apart from that, unless I'm, I'm of a similar mindset, unless I've got feedback from actual potential clients saying this is actually good stuff and I've really enjoyed it and it's helped me and I've learned X, Y, Z, then I kind of feel, feel on the same boat. Um, and I think a, a, a problem I've had in the past with, with gating content is um, we have gated, say, um, a certain ebook, and then we get a really large customer getting attributed to that ebook because eventually they downloaded that, but probably they have heard about us a lot before. So then we have a 300,000 euro customer attributed to a gated piece of content. Then it will be impossible to argue uh, to remove it, right? Um, since maybe most of the upper management will believe that um, the gated content was what what initiated this this super <laughs> deal. Uh, so that is uh, that is yeah that has been hard in the past for sure. Oh, I thought you were gonna. That's inter- That's a good point though. I thought you were gonna go another way. I thought you were gonna say like an existing customer downloaded a piece of content, then got marketed the shit out of, and then <laughs> and then like complained yeah. and said, "I don't want to work with you guys anymore." <laughs> yeah, maybe that has also happened. I'm not sure. I'm sure it has. <laughs> I'm sure it has to some to some companies for sure. So yeah, how can we? How can a company make the transition from a pure lead gen mindset to moving into more of a demand gen play? Yeah, yeah. I think um, to be really practical, I think what, what we have done, um, which I find is maybe the most simple way to start moving in that direction is kind of to split your funnel up uh, in a couple of different uh, ways. Um, right. And, and what I mean by that is to, to split it up by the actual intent. You will always have more low intent buyers coming in, but uh, to split it up, from, for us, that believe split it up into a funnel that we call high intent that are, as we said, more demos, the contact request, those goes into one funnel. We have uh, a free account, fun- we, have, we have a freemium product. So that is one funnel, the free accounts. And then we have the more low intent um, funnel where more events, webinars, and so on ends up. So it's more, right. we, we stack it up into three different funnels. And the important thing here is what I've usually seen in most companies is that most of your revenue comes from the high intent bucket, right? But most of your leads are coming in uh, in other buckets, so such as your free trials or freemiums or your low intents. Um, so we have some sort of a disconnect there. And that is the argument I'm always trying to make at companies is that we, uh, if we focus down on these more high intent buyers, it will lead to more revenue. It's pretty clear here. Um, so I think that's one of the easiest way you have to split that out, watch it for yourself at your company and then show it to management because I, I think it paints a really clear picture. Yep. Yep. So breaking down the funnel into different, different levels of intent. Um, I know we touched on this a bit earlier, but how can you really tell a demand gen campaign is working well? Is it just a case of you need to give it a good test like over six months or a year and then you'll slowly see your revenue kind of creep up and you'll start getting feedback from prospects and customers or is there other angles to it that we need to consider? Yeah, 
Yeah, I guess it depends on if it, if it's a like more of a capture campaign where we talk about paid search, organic search, then we can obviously view it more in terms of the demand we're actually capturing, the customers we're bringing in, the revenue from there. But if it's more of a demand generation campaign where we are trying to build awareness, we are at least looking a lot more at the certain awareness metrics. So we are looking at okay, how is our branded traffic developing over time? How is our direct traffic developing over time? Yep. If we can see that that is increasing, yeah, obviously more people know about our brand. Uh, and hopefully, at least that, that's uh, what we see in our case. We have a pretty strong correlation with when people, when our brand increases, uh, even if those are not all parameters you can measure, I think those are pretty valid. When our brand increases, we can also see that usually our revenue increases a while after. Um, yep. So we are trying to find, as you said, we need more you know, short-term metrics in a way to make sure that we are um, going in the right direction. Um, and obviously, we, we are also looking at you know, the, the MQLs, the SQLs. Um, I think those are also getting unworthy bashed sometimes. As long as you are measuring you know, and maybe defining them correctly, I think they are great short-term metrics just to see that you're getting in the, going in the correct uh, direction. Yeah, yeah. Um, we talked about capturing demand. Mm. Are there any other ways apart from kind of search that you can ensure that the demand you're creating is going to good use? I.e., should we put call to actions in some of the content that we're putting out, or should we just make it as value packed as possible? Not even barely mention our brand and just hope that that those uh, buyers when they're ready when they need our help or when they need to make a recommendation or referral with the brand that we speak of, are there any other touch points or things that we need to consider to actually make sure that we do capture this business that we've worked so hard to educate our prospects on? I think you, you should never be afraid of, even if it's a, you know, a top funnel blog post, you should never be afraid to talk about your products. I think that's really important because they, they are your bread and butter. But for, for us, I think review channels are really big you know um, especially in our space g2 trustpilot um, captera all of these kind of software review sites i think most buyers these days at least in the say it tech sector are going to visit these kind of pages during some kind of um, research phase and if we aren't present there and if we aren't if we don't have good reviews and good um, yeah good material there I don't think we will ever be in the in the game. So I think those are, apart from paid search and organic search, those are probably our most important um, intent channels as well. Um, and it's very different per market. Like T2 is huge in in US, as an example. Sure. Uh, in Euro in Europe, we have a lot of different ones. You know, Trustpilot is very big in say UK. Um, yeah, we have certain. So I think it's a it's a matter of finding what's relevant for. For your specific market um and yeah obviously making sure that you have happy customers before that's really key um but i think review sites are since you can't really attribute it directly to review sites usually um you can't really see that it's happening but if you as you said before if you ask your customers a lot of people have seen you on review sites for sure yeah yeah, makes sense it's something we've not not touched about much on the site but we we use review sites a lot and like you said, they're actually, for our business anyway, they, they generate a heck of a lot of inbound um, yeah. because the, 
even though these review sites make an absolute fortune because they're not purely organic. They'll basically charge you an arm and a leg to sponsor your listing. And then you'll collect your client reviews and you'll pay them several grand a month. But in return, you'll get a good amount of traffic to your site and you'll probably get a fair few qualified leads off it. Um, But it helps with that branding building piece as well. Um, So yeah, it's a nice, nice ad as we've not talked about. And I think that is also like, I think at least for me, when I'm in a buyer's journey, I feel, I feel such a trust for a brand when I can read what someone else have to say about them. Usually even more on LinkedIn, when someone is posting organically about the company, then I really take it to my heart, to be honest, because that's more on a review site. You can probably kind of make sure that your best customers are reviewing you, but on LinkedIn and on other social organic platforms, it's not really possible. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Fair point. If, um, if a company, is perhaps tuning in and they perhaps think, yeah, I think I think it's about time we took demand gen seriously mm. and we want to get stuck into it. Perhaps now we've got some resources that we can set aside and make some things happen. What are some initial considerations, Adam, that you'd advise and what are some good starting points for a company that wants to get cracking on with demand gen? Um, yeah, I, I think initially... Um... I think this funnel breakdown to have that as a baseline is always good. Um, I think um, to start with just ungating everything that is not uh, relevant to gate, I think is a good start. And then I think um, just starting just starting your organic presence on LinkedIn. And I'm not talking about the company page. I'm talking about more the personal branding from an employee level um, not something you should push maybe from an empl- employer perspective but this is something that should should happen naturally i feel like most companies that are very successful these days in SaaS are companies that have people with extremely strong personal brands especially in the us i would say but also in europe um, we see a lot of companies where you know employees are actually um getting to spend the time on their work just to talk about things that they are passionate about, not necessarily the business. So I think that's a good start to allow your employees to start building their personal brand uh, a lot more because that will also make your brand more visible, right? Um, And also hopefully more likable uh, since usually your brand are your people. So I think that's a a great way and something we do a lot at, at get accepted as an example um we have different you know ambassador programs as an example where people completely freely we don't force anyone to to do anything but uh, can set aside time to to promote themselves and talk what they are interested interested in most um for me example that is demand generation we we aren't selling a solution for demand generation obviously but that's what i'm passionate about and i would continue to to educate and talk about that um so I think yeah. that's a, and also that's an easy way to get started with. It's just start to post one thing every week. That's a, that's that's the kind of um, thing I'm trying to do. As long as I can post something I feel is relevant and valuable once a week, it doesn't have to be more as a start. Um, that's fine. Yep. Oh yeah. There's no doubt LinkedIn's a, a powerful platform, and I. I, I certainly side with the fact that if you aren't empowering your your team your staff to get on there 
and because it's it's a win-win right as long as they're not posting yep. nonsense and cat videos every day then um <laughs> as long as they're actually yeah. posting stuff that's half relevant to your sector and if yep. there is some personal stuff in between then it's only going to help you and it's going to help them as well because like you said they can build their personal brand their reputation and likewise if they're talking about something that's related to what you do whether that is best practices tips tricks etc it's a yep. it's a win-win for both um just to wrap things up, are there any top channels that you think that people should be considering when it comes to an effective demand gen strategy? Um, yeah, I think there are, I think all channels really, but no, but I think the most interesting channel I see for 2022, uh, I would say the most interesting medium I see that we have seen uh, bringing us the best results in 2021 are video for sure. So, um, and it doesn't have to be high, uh, produced videos it can be recorded with uh you know your cell phone uh, and still perform very well because I, I think people yeah people really like videos and i think uh, an interesting channel that we will look into i know you are already doing it but is youtube ads um because i feel one time that i actually look uh, at a full ad that is usually at youtube i spend a lot of time at youtube and i see so many great uh, IT tech companies, software companies doing funny ads on on YouTube. That is something we will for sure experience. Uh, try to try to uh, do something with in twenty twenty two. Yeah, uh, I think that's uh, that could be a cool thing. Yeah, interesting, interesting. I've, we've we've not done a lot with it, but um, that's a channel I think that's that's going to get more exploration. I know um, Chris Walker was talking about on his podcast recently. Um, So yeah, I'll be, I'll be interested to see what happens with YouTube ads over the next 12 months. Likewise with LinkedIn video, I see that creeping more into the scene with the, with the paid ads and and that kind of stuff. So yeah, Mm. nice one, Adam. Look, really enjoyed uh, the conversation, sir. It's been a, it's been a good chat. We've covered some good angles when it comes to demand gen and versus lead gen as well. Thank you for having me, sir. No worries, dude. So with that, please do tell us more about how everyone can learn from you, connect with you, and the best way to get in touch. Yeah, you can always find me on LinkedIn, of course, Adam Holmgren. And then I always suggest you to listen to my podcast, The Demand Generation Movement, where we where we interview other European leaders um, that are kind of at the forefront of that, for sure. Good man. And we'll put all of those links over on the site at businessgrowth.marketing. And with that, I want to thank you once again, Adam. Enjoyed the chat. Thank you. No worries. And as always, if you enjoyed today's episode of Business Growth Show, why not give us a quick subscribe on YouTube or give us a rating on Apple or Spotify. And with that, we should catch you on the next one. Cheers.